Hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie-Goldwyn. And we have one hell of an episode coming up today. We are talking with Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, Anna, are you stoked? I'm super stoked. Uh, yeah. He's like a, he's one of the kind of people in Congress who seems like a really cool guy. Yeah. And I'm excited. Well, he's been there for cool 10 years. Vibes. Yeah, he's, he's been, been there been for, 10 years. for 10 years. Yeah. And he actually founded something that I thought was really interesting. When he first started in Congress, he founded something called the Future Forum, which was a group of young Democrats that focused huh. specifically on concerns of millennials. So wow. his mission has always aligned with our mission. Yeah. Well, he's 42 right now. So he was 32 when he first got elected. He was. And okay. I have some fun. I have another fun fact that I just want yeah, to bring up lay it on that me. I thought was great. So he actually, you know, we talk a lot about how 9-11 was kind of the event of our generation. Mm -hmm. And he actually was interning in Congress when 9-11 happened. Wow. And that was he said that that was what inspired him to serve in public office. And at the time, he was a student um, at University of Maryland, and he actually helped in student government start a public-private college scholarship for kids who lost parents in the attack. So wow. all oh, the way is, back as a college really, student, he was really walking the walk, one might yeah. say. Well, and we should we should just mention for our listeners, if they're not familiar with him already, he is a Democratic congressman from California in the 14th District, which is kind of up in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's a former prosecutor and he was on, uh, Trump's, uh, the second impeachment, uh, management team on the Democratic really side. Really not a fan the... of Trump. No, no. And, and Trump if you is follow really him, not a fan of him. No. And they, yeah. they dunk on each other quite a bit on Twitter yeah. and, yeah. and we talk about social media with him and, um, we, he, one of his main issues is gun reform, which he's been very passionate about. So. Which he used um, to launch excited. a presidential campaign in 2020. Right. right. Um, he sort of had a short presidential campaign that may have made him known to more voters than previous. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's he's cool. He's just a cool yeah. guy. And I like when we can kind of demystify who these people are. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, here we go. Let's get into it. Welcome to Political Playlist. <laughs> All right. Are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> Congressman Swalwell, welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. Thanks for being hey, here. Hey, Michael Anna. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Usually we uh, we have a cocktail, but it's 1130 <laughs> in the morning in L.A. And yes. we're not that desperate. Well, not 1130 <laughs> yeah. here in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure plenty of your uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle sometimes have you ready to pour one by noon. But uh... oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, look, it, it's uh, actually as I sit here, um, I could be having a cocktail because we have nothing to do. And I don't know if you're tracking, but the MAGA Republicans have shut down Congress. Um, oh, wow. What does that mean? Yeah. So they like voted to basically stop proceedings. Yes. <laughs> so in, in retaliation of uh, Democrats and, you know, some Republicans passing the crazy idea that we should pay our bills last week you know, by lifting the debt ceiling. Right. Uh, the MAGA morons that I serve with have shut down Congress. So this is kind of the retaliation against uh, wow. Speaker McCarthy. And I mean, look, don't threaten me with a good time, right? Like we're not <laughs> here to ban gas stoves. And, and by the way, or, or 
to save gas stoves. That was the legislation that they had right. this week was, um, wow. again, no one's taking your gas stove if you're worried about that. But <laughs> you know, there was like one government report that some gas stoves may not be safe. And now they're obsessively trying to save gas stoves. That's what we would be working on right now. So I'm, I'm wow. not, I guess, too sad that that's not the gas yeah. stove agenda. The gas stove lobby is oh, and, and the hurting jokes, right now. Um, you can imagine the jokes around. Uh, one joke this week was that Republicans can't pass gas. Uh, <laughs> it's regarded as That's a good. combustible issue. Uh, there's wow. Just, you know, it's yeah. really, um, really sad. There's been just a lot of leaks coming out of like why they can't get this done. Um, so yeah, we're we're just having fun. Uh, as I said, though, if if this means that they're not making us go through the crazy, then it's not that. Right. Well, well, speaking of the sane, you know, I think this is so interesting because you're highlighting the issues that the Republican Party is is putting at the forefront. And yet they're so non-serious issues. Right. And one issue that you have long been a, a proponent of is gun reform. And we're seeing record gun violence in this country. And yet there doesn't seem like there's any movement on the other side on this issue. So can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the incremental changes that you have been able to make so far and then what Democrats and in, in your plan is moving forward to try and keep moving those change forward to get as many or any of your colleagues on the other side uh, on board with this. Michael, it's really frustrating. Um, we've been on this carousel of gun violence tragedies. My congressional orientation, just to frame this for you, uh, happened uh, the same day that Sandy Hook uh, occurred. And, and I was so naive, I thought, this is such an awful tragedy, unimaginable, but surely I am now gonna be a part of an effort that'll do something because 20 babies were just slaughter and to see that we've been on this carousel from sandy hook you know to orlando uh, to parkland to santa fe uh it's so many vegas and so many countless others and, and more recent school shootings like uvalde uh, and nothing has happened it's just you know convinced me um that we have to be louder and more uh, present and so i spent uh, the, i've spent the last two days with student activists who uh, are committed to protesting and sitting in at the Capitol uh, for the next seven days. Uh, and so their agenda is, it's called Assault Weapons Now, and it's being led by somebody who lost uh, a cousin uh, at Parkland, uh, the father of a, uh, the, the mother and father of a Parkland student who was killed uh, are out there, uh, the Oliver family, uh, a mother and father of a a uh, 10 year old who was killed at Uvalde uh, are out there showing solidarity with these high school and college students who are saying, we don't have to live this way. Uh, what I have tried to convince them of, and I, I hope your viewers look at this play is, yes, it, it's, it's maddening that these tragedies keep happening and we still have assault weapons and, and we don't have background checks. However, in 2018, when that Parkland generation pulled themselves out of that unimaginable grief, they mobilized, they organized, and they beat 19 A-rated NRA members of Congress. And they gave us the House of Representatives. And we passed 
background checks. And then the following Congress, we also pass an assault weapons ban. And while we didn't get votes in the Senate uh, on those that would put it into law, uh, we did get a bipartisan gun safety uh, deal that was the first reform we've seen in 30 years. So what I want them to see is that they're making progress, not nearly as fast uh, as we want, but they can't give up. They, they just have to stay committed to it. Uh, and I know they are. It's, it's a burden they shouldn't have to carry, by the way. Like, they shouldn't right. have to like go to Washington, sleep outside. And they were describing last night, like literally rats like, oh. all around uh, where they were sleeping, getting into their food. And it oh just like, you shouldn't have to sleep with the rats right. outside the Capitol to get attention on this issue. But they're committed. And if they can do that, the least we can do in Congress is to pass these measures. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a thing you never want to be bonded to others by, but it sounds like, you know, you say the people from Parkland and from Uvalde, it's like that Washington is where they're all going to find each other, I you guess. Know what, and, yeah, Hannah, you know what they call it? They, they say uh, it's a club we never wanted to join. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. And I now, you know, I got into this, I was a prosecutor before I went to Congress. And as I said, uh, Sandy Hook and Pulse and some of the others, motivated me to want to work on this issue. And, and now I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. And to hear the six-year-old describe to me, you know, the mass shooter drills that they do, and, you know, he told mm. me he ducks under his desk and the janitor bangs on the door and they're all supposed to stay under the desk and not go to the door. And it's, it's just like, he's six. And, and wow. he's already being conditioned you know, to fear uh, and prepare that this could happen to him. So bottom line, we shouldn't have to live this way, uh, but we just have to keep the faith that organizing and mobilizing is the best way out. Mm, yeah. uh, and, and by the way, we have one of my colleagues, I hope you get to interview him, uh, Maximal Frost, mm. 26 yes, years old, of one of the founders of March for Our Lives, uh, was driving Ubers just, you know, a year ago, um, you know, to support himself. And now he's in Congress and, and he's a leader in the movement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, switching gears, complete 180 from sort of these hyper-partisan issues to bipartisanship, which I think often gets overlooked in the times that we live in, but is equally as important to recognize if we're going to move forward. We read about this bill that you had with Representative Reschenthaler from right. um, Pennsylvania that addresses the very sexy topic of rare earth <laughs> magnets. Yeah. And um, I'm wondering, first of all, when I started reading about this, I found it really fascinating as sort of a, a bill that I think addresses a lot of different issues that we're kind of facing, whether it be threats from China, whether it be sort of creating jobs in America, the environment, all of these things. You and Representative Reschenthaler come from very different um, parts of the country. But can you just speak about this bill and then also why this issue kind of should permeate through our lives and we should be aware of it? Yeah, almost everything we use, you know, our, our phones, uh, laptops, TVs we watch, uh, you know, the devices that, you know, run our lives, they depend on access to these critical materials. And the problem is, is that most of them are mined outside the United States. And the, even the ones that are mined inside the United States are processed and magnetized in China. And so COVID showed us uh, that relying on China uh, for critical materials uh, is a problem. You know, we are paying the price on inflation because of supply chain uh, challenges. We're in a potential showdown with China over Taiwan. And so if there was a conflict 
we shouldn't assume that we would still be able to derive rare earth you know, elements from China. So this is about getting the U.S. in the game. Believe it or not, we have enough mines already in the United States uh, that can take this on. And, and you and I were talking offline about storytelling. I went out to one of these mines a couple of weeks ago, uh, just uh, on the other side of the, uh, Ve the Vegas border with California. On the California side, a mine called uh, MP Materials. And so they pull these rare earths out of the mine uh, and they are trying to process on site to counter China. And so I put on an Insta reel, just like what the, what the issue is, uh, why we depend on them, how we can environmentally uh, safely extract them here in the United States and then process them in the United States. So this is really just recognizing that this is a, not just a threat to like what we consume and need, but many of our national security systems, our military systems also rely on these. And so I guess in, in a way, uh, it may take like a Bay Area Democrat, <laughs> your point earlier, uh, to get the U.S. in the mining game to counter China on rare earths. And, and I'm always in a, you know, an advocate you know, that we do it in an environmentally friendly way. Uh, and I've got my Republican colleague who definitely, in living in mining country, understands uh, you know, the need and ability to do this. Yeah. That's what I thought was so interesting about it, just sort of knowing bits about both of you that... I have to imagine that there are these issues that you care about it sort of from one perspective, he cares about it from another, but in the end, the joint work on that is progress. And the fact that you find something you can work together is progress. So I thought that, I just thought that this bill specifically, A, given how important the topic is and how it comes through every element of our lives, but it, also, it was just, I think, an interesting thing for people to remember that like, just because people's interests are different, it doesn't mean that there totally. isn't common ground. You know, but before I'm uh, a Democrat, I'm, I'm in the get shit done party. Like, yes. That's why I ran for Congress. <laughs> and yeah. that means working with someone who I may not vote with, you know, on many issues, but like we can address this issue. Yeah. I think you have to do it. And, and yeah. it's, it's easy to be an absolutist around here. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, people on the other side that I, I think have done awful things as it relates to, you know, women's reproductive rights, attacks on trans kids. Uh, and we should wage, you know, those fights uh, and defend equality. Uh, but I also have to, as I said, my job as representative uh, is to get shit done. And so uh, Guy Reschenthaler has been a, you know, a faithful partner uh, with me on this issue. And we just keep the politics on the other stuff out of this conversation and we're making progress. And we have a mm -hmm. processing tax credit, which would incentivize companies to do the processing in the United States. And we've been told all over the country, and actually all over the world, that if you do this, it'll be a game changer in this hmm. space. And we think it's going to pass in the next year. We've got a real shot at it. Uh, and it's one of my top priorities. That's awesome. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny, something you just mentioned about storytelling and, you know, putting this on your reels. You know, we started political playlists to cover congressional leaders under the age of 45 because we ourselves are millennials and we saw us and our friends consuming news differently and social media being a big part of that. And I feel like you have sort of leapt ahead of the pack as far as your use of social media. Can you talk a little bit about like that decision you made to say, oh, this could be a great tool for getting shit done. And yeah. how has that kind of helped you or maybe in some cases hindered you? Well, I, I, yeah, by hindered, um, you know, you take the uh, losses with, you know, the wins and sometimes yeah. 
and you tweet or post something out of a lot of passion and then you're like, oh man, I probably <laughs> shouldn't have said that. But no. I see social media is, is a way, you know, to tell a story that talks to someone's heart, uh, not necessarily their head. And I think Democrats too often, and Hakeem Jeffries, our leader, says this all the time, you know, we govern in fine print and Republicans govern in headlines. I think that is a weakness for us. Uh, and that's why I think we often are trusted with governing, which is that you're going to get competence. Uh, but, you know, to competently govern, you need to win. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. to win, right. you have to convince people uh, to be with you. So when I was a prosecutor, I would often go to a jury. I would take complicated, you know, legal theories they had to follow and try and break it down to something they could understand so that I could convict, uh, you know, the person who had committed the crime. And I think this job is the same, which is using social media, whether it's, you know, Instagram or, or, or Twitter, and that's mostly where the space that we're in right now, we're looking at like, how do you use be real in others, you know, to tell stories. But right now, uh, I think Insta is a great way, um, to just take an issue, distill it and put it out to folks in a way that, that can connect with them. And, and I ideally have like a call to action of like what you can mm. do about the issue. I think one person who's uh, really effectively doing this, who should be on your radar, uh, is Jeff Jackson from. Oh, uh, he's, his stuff is amazing. We love so him. Good. Yeah. yeah, we love him. He's really <laughs> good at it. And I think that, as I said, it, it, to me, the most important part of all of it is authenticity. Because right? yeah. I think young people, especially, uh, they can call bullshit. They can Google, uh, you know, something if you're not being authentic and, and real with them. And we also, whenever I record something, I kind of have a rule. If I stumble or trip over, you know, something in what I'm saying, like we don't delete it and go back mm. and do it again. Because mm -hmm. I think, again, you don't want to look overproduced. You want to just be yourself. Yeah. I think you want to be yourself. I hope that's what people want from you at the end of the day. And so um, that that's kind of our approach to, to messaging. And I, I think it connects. I also think people our age have grown so cynical of the performative aspect of anything, specifically politics, because we've, you know, grown into adulthood in this incredibly divided environment that anything that kind of reeks of like politician, I just feel like is such a turnoff, especially for independent young voters who are trying to decide, you know, maybe I'm not fully this way, not fully this way. I actually want to focusing on the candidate that if you're a candidate, you have to speak to those people in a way that they can understand. Um, I have a lot of friends who are very cynical of of politicians. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, right. well, just get like, watch their social media and see if you can sort of agree with their story. I, I agree. Um, no one wants to listen to a politician, you know, explain policies. Again, aside from being boring, I think they just think it's fake. And, and yeah. to tell you this, what has frustrated me the most in working on Capitol Hill is it does feel like I work in pro wrestling. And I'll give you an example. During the second impeachment of Donald Trump, I was one of the impeachment managers. We were trying the case over in the Senate. I was able to, the members on the House side were, you know, given Senate offices to work out of, were able to use the Senate bathroom, found myself uh, next to Ted Cruz uh, at the sink, washing our hands. And he had, I'm not shitting you, the night before, been on Fox News, trashing me by name. And he looks at me across the sink, puts out his fist and says, hey, I'm Ted. Nice to meet you. And I was like, 
<laughs> wow. What? Like, you just bash me. You go at me on Twitter wow. all the time. And then he says, he goes, I want you to know you're doing a really good job. And I, I was just stunned. Absolutely stunned. And then it wow. kind of occurred to me, this isn't real to this guy. He's, yeah. he's just a wrestler. He goes in the ring, Fox News, hits me over the head with a steel chair. Then we're backstage, cameras are off, and we can just bro out and fist bump in the bathroom because to him, it's not real. Like why? He would also I be probably a- wanted Donald Trump just as gone as you did. <laughs> right, you know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. very true. But I, I, I guess what I've learned is that these guys don't. Did, I don't even know what the hell they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll contrast that with because a lot of these guys, and I've seen this before, Gates and Jordan and others. I'll see them outside the Capitol in a restaurant or you're the, in the airport together and they like want to be your butt. Mm. And I actually respect Marjorie Taylor Greene who would walk past me at an airport at a restaurant and she'd want to kill me. Like what you see in public with her is what you see in private. So like I respect someone right. who actually believes in the crazy and right. someone just goes and performs the crazy and then backstage is like, these people are crazy, right? Like that's like, right, right, right. Wow. Like, what it is and so it's just it's much harder to to work with somebody like that when you don't even know like what is your core set of principles right or right. you're just doing this for the fans and, and just to kind of put a button on this the risk to the country and we saw it on january 6th is if the quote-unquote fans who you know i call constituents if they don't know that it's all fake to you and that it's all performance then they're going to get fired up and they're going to get incited and they're going to go to the capitol and attack it uh, and, and that's i think much of what happened uh, on January mm. 6th, you know, uh, the Josh Hawley's and the Ted Cruz's, you know, who were a part of firing them up and saying this is 1776 all over again. And we, I don't even think they really believe that. I think this was just, you know, chest thumping in a cage match and then backstage saying, these people are crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, well <laughs> you, you've been uh, you've been incredibly uh, generous with your time here. I, I feel like we could have this conversation all day. Uh, but I mean, I'm glad just... by the way, I'm glad you're doing this and the viewership that you have. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that it's just I, that to me is just such an important takeaway. And like all of life is just because someone disagrees with you, you know, that's all right. But if they're being fake, if they're putting on a right. show about it, those are the people I think you know that can really be the most dangerous because eventually the crazies might burn out but if someone can mask the craziness then you know that's a that's a problem um but yeah thank you so much for your time well we really you know we've sort of been i actually um was aware of you when you were first elected because of adrian elrod had um way back when and uh you've you know your career is inspiring and um we're just excited to see what you continue to do and thank you so much for everything that you've done so far of course of course yeah thank you all for doing this and uh cool it's just speaking of our insta it's at eric swalwell uh on instagram that uh, that's and then at rep swalwell on twitter if you want to see all the content great. that's where you got to go yeah. great great well, next time we're in Washington, we will uh, make this uh, over beers instead of coffees. Perfect. And we'll, we'll bring George Santos because he invented beer. So perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should have the the real truth, oh. real truth sayers there. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Representative Swalwell. Thank you. Okay. All right. That was great. Yeah. Man, I could. We could have kept going all day. He was cool. <laughs> 
He was so cool. Wow. It was really so interesting. Cool. Should we record this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting the comparison between talking to him and Representative Garcia. Oh, yeah. What someone did you who's think? been did, in Congress yeah. for 10 years versus someone who's new. I think like there was a little more chill factor. A little more chill factor mm-hmm. and a little bit more kind of willingness to go off script, if I yeah. can say that. You know, I think that what Representative Garcia told us was really helpful and interesting. And I think specifically talking mostly about immigration, um, that, you know, like he's an immigrant and he had mm-hmm. personal connection to that issue. But I found that when you're talking to a politician, I mean, he's been in politics for a while, but on the national stage, sort of in Congress, just the comparison of speaking to someone who has been there for a long time, there's a little bit of like demystification of it, of like. (laughs) Totally. It's like, I mean, it's like watching a rookie uh, taking his first shift on the ice versus, you know, watching Wayne Gretzky late in his career. You, You know, it's like they just. They ju- there's just a different kind of comfortability. And this is all to that. say, with all respect to Representative Garcia, because oh, right. he is crushing it. And I think, of course, and obviously yeah. has experience, you know, was an eight year mayor of Long Beach. So it's yeah. not like this is his first rodeo. But yeah, there was a different and it could just well, be well, done a couple too. podcasts. We'll, we'll say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, I want to get a beer with this guy. He seems, he seems super cool. cool. Yeah, he seems very cool. You know, yeah. I feel like we could have kept talking to him about so many things, but I felt like, you know, the, I think the last thing he was saying really stuck with me because it's, I think just how a lot of people feel and Mm -hmm. specifically how I've come to feel that like, I think I used to live in this mindset of like, oh, if someone disagrees with me, like I have a hard time spending time with them or whatever. And I don't think he was saying he wants to spend time with Marjorie Taylor Greene, but like, right. I, I do feel like there are people in Congress who disagree with him, who aren't playing into necessarily sort of the facade of the craziness and are Republicans getting work done and trying to do things that they believe in. And I just think that for people who are cynical about politics, those are the people, whether you agree with them or not, that you should be looking to and saying, oh, this is like what government could be, is it could be people who disagree and fight over things, but who actually stand by behind closed doors like he was saying um what they're doing in public and man that story about ted cruz wild i feel like i remember i don't know that i would want to fist bump ted cruz just saying (laughs) after he took especially in a urinal like what (laughs) (laughs) i know it's like uh you're kind of gross as it is yeah um no and and i thought what was really interesting was he said something that we'll definitely try and make some clips of he was like, Democrats tend to govern in the fine print and Republicans govern in the headlines. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting thing because I think, you know, historically, Democrats have always, you know, been jealous of Republicans' ability to message. And yeah. I think the the common wisdom or perhaps misconception is that, oh, Republicans are this like dialed in message mas- machine mm. and Democrats are kind of all over the place. And I thought that was like that was an interesting thing to to take away from in terms of like, okay, how do Democrat in this divided area that we're in, how do Democrats message in a way that is authentic and genuine Mm -hmm. like he was talking about 
but but gets at a little bit more of the emotions of voters versus the fine print, which yeah. I think can lose voters. And, and yeah. I think that's a challenge they have. I got in a discussion with my dad about this actually over the weekend in relation to the debt ceiling de mm. deal, because he was like, he was like, you know, this is it's a good thing for Biden. And I was like, I just like I was like, honestly, I don't know, because I think yeah. that they've given it was something you and Anthony actually said in the last episode of like, I think Anthony was saying that they Democrats kind of gave Republicans the talking points that they wanted, but the substance mm -hmm. of the bill actually wasn't doing anything particularly conservative other than saving money that eventually would have been saved anyway. Right. And I think that the discussion I had with my dad, you know, him being two generations older, someone who is very aware of the political world saying like, oh, well, the bill is good for Democrats. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> but like I was skeptical of, of is this going to actually help Democrats get reelected or or flip any seats? Because if it's not met, if the, the accomplishments of the mm -hmm. bill are not messaged properly, um, and taken away from the fine print, as Congressman Swalwell said, like people aren't going to know about it because most people aren't sitting down reading the news. Um, and especially if you're a moderate Republican who could maybe be swayed to vote otherwise, you're like, oh, my party did something that I probably agree with on sort of like a conservative basis. So um, wow. to me, it's a TBD, but uh, kind of just that idea of like fine print versus headlines, I think. Um, you know, Republicans need to focus a bit more on the fine print. Yeah. Democrats <laughs> need to get a little help with the headlines. Yeah. Um, and then we might have ourselves a real, a real battle royale. <laughs> well, um, we are a small operation here at Political Playlist, which means we do not pay for Zoom. And this so Zoom session is running, running out, out of time. time. So that means to wrap it up. <laughs> What's your last uh, thought? Um, my last thought is that I'm sort of now more energized to keep talking with more Congress people. I feel like mm. we've been on a nice little run and we are hoping to sit down with Congressman Morgan McGarvey of mm. Kentucky. What a good name. Uh, Such a good Kentucky weeks. name. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, you know, what we do at Political Playlist is to try and introduce you to the young leaders. And for us, it's about discovering them. And and I feel like I'm even more energized right now to talk with more because you see the differences, right? You see the difference between somebody like Robert Garcia and Eric Swalwell. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to, to continue to sort of see the differences. And, and I feel like that is the excitement about all this is like mm -hmm. learning who's out there and learning who you agree with or disagree, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a sort of constructive way. Yeah, yeah, totally.